0: Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. The Byzantine nature of software licensing, where contract costs are not always transparent and licensing terms can be opaque, has recently received the attention of this administration as part of their national cybersecurity strategy. Their plan invites the modernizing of government IT infrastructure to review the inherent vulnerabilities of legacy software and the licensing of software to federal government agencies. The National Cybersecurity Strategy specifically calls for holding software companies liable for the security flaws in their products. This strategy is an opportunity for the federal government to bring forward a new standard of what good cybersecurity protocols should look like. To walk us through the software licensing practices and what might work when it comes to software procurement reform, I talk today to Ryan Triplett. Ryan is the Executive Director of the Coalition for Fair Software Licensing. She is an expert in intellectual property, cybersecurity, and competition issues. Ryan has worked with early-stage and mature companies in the technology industry throughout her career. She founded Canary Global Strategies in September of 2017 to combine her policy expertise with expanding relationships across the European Union and the United States. Prior to founding Canary Strategies, she was a principal at the Franklin Square Group and served as the Director of Government Relations for Intel Corporation. Ryan also worked for six years on the Senate Judiciary Committee. In today's episode, Ryan and I will discuss some of the finer details around software procurement as asset management practices that affect cybersecurity risks throughout the entire software lifecycle. Ryan, thank you for being a guest today on Explain to Shane. Thank you. You contacted me kind of late last fall because one of my colleagues, John Bailey, had contributed to a report called Memos for Tech Transil- Transition sorry start again Memos for a Tech Transition Building a State Digital Capacity in the First 200 Days and it focused on a failure in procurement processes and the people behind the spending and it very specifically talked about the type of contracts that are most effective when they're small and flexible Prioritizing software featured on actual users' needs and incentivizing collaboration, especially between state and vendors. I'll be honest, I was not paying attention to this <laughs> until you brought it to my attention. Mm-hmm. And then it's like I rabbit hole, right? You know, so I'm like, oh, so that's what Ryan's up to. So now, these are a couple of my favorite headlines I've seen since then NASA overspent $15 million on Oracle software because it was afraid and Audit would cost more. Now, first of all, I think in fifteen million, unfortunately, in these days, dollars doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm a, I like to save taxpayer money, so mm-hmm. it is an issue. But it it says that the software assessment management, which you probably know about, it's called a SAM mm-hmm. practice, currently expose the agency for operating uh, for operational, financial, and cybersecurity risks with management of the software lifecycle too uh, largely decentralized and it's too ad hoc. So it got me curious and I just started reading like article after article about all these things that go on in the software licensing space that seem like they need to be a little tidied up maybe yeah. and better understood. Mm-hmm. So luckily you were in town and you were able <laughs> to make the podcast. So tell me about this. Tell me what's going on here. Well, welcome to my world
1: in terms of rabbit holding. <laughs> um, what you will find is that the more you learn about the impact of uh, these contracts, the more you find yourself digging through different threads of these vendor negotiations, the customer impact, um, and especially, frankly, on the on the public sector. Uh, And in this instance, what uh, we were really interesting, interested in what um, John's group came out with, because it began to pull on some threads, a that there's a lot bigger dynamics that are at play here that, um, in terms of the impact on the procurement process and the securing of vendors. We specifically, as a Coalition for Fair Software Licensing, are focused almost um, solely on the impact of the software licenses and the software contract negotiations on the digital transformation and cloud ma- migration strategies of customers. And it's something that what we have seen is that it actually lies at the root of a lot of these much larger concerns that you're looking at, whether it's government overspend, whether it's cybersecurity concerns. Uh, So that's really where a lot of this has come from.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. The Treasury Department just recently had a study that they are very concerned about there being like kind of a, I guess you were you're referring to them as the legacy and now that cl- cloud's been around long enough that they have legacy players. God love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they're, they're not that many of them. And let's see it said Treasury says cloud computing poses risk to financial sector. And what it reminded me of is what we went through with the colonial pipeline and the energy sector, realizing they were all doing. Too many things exactly the same, and the bad guys could able, They basically figure out how to punch a hole in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and so now we have Treasury, which has put out a report saying they're concerned about our fund. And I actually think the financial guys do a pretty good job. Yeah. So the fact that Treasury is concerned is either I don't know. I'm that's another one I'm going to watch because that's that's very important. That's where all our money is.
1: Yeah. Well, and with this, the Treasury Department report, um, I mean, I spent a lot of time going through, and what's interesting about it is. I mean, there were some very splashy headlines around it in terms of is new regulation to come for the cloud? Um, what's actually interesting about this it it was a a very balanced approach in terms of um, looking at the pros and cons, looking at some of the things that are going on over at the EU, conversations at the g7. Um, but it did highlight um, a the need to look at the different vulnerabilities that were being created through um the cloud vendor selection it highlighted these and you know one thing kind of looking at one of the, one of the key highlights i took away from it because it really is more of a primer it's it is think of it i would say as the introduction to the conversation from the treasury department's perspective um and they did have recommendations for um their their commercial um companies but also they discussed their own cloud strategy um but one in- interesting thing i found was um a focus on interoperability uh, and the the need for there to be greater um, interoperability between vendors and legacy providers, um, and the failure to do so is creating a, a what is known as a single point of failure. Um, this is very similar to what happened in Colonial Pipeline, um, and the single point of failure, if it's exploited, um, can bring down an agency's entire system, but also have overarching impact kind of across the industry. Um, I mean, to quote what they say, a large system failure or data breach, uh, one of the cloud um, vendors can impact multiple financial institutions. So this gives you a sense of some of the implications, but also the cybersecurity concerns.
0: So uh, readings up on this did remind me of a lot of the challenges I see in cyber, which is you have have a legacy spend. Like somebody buys a system, Mm -hmm. and then There are new challenges that come on board and then you either go back to your same vendor or there's new guys that show up and say, oh, we can toggle stuff onto that. And, you know, eventually the older system becomes kind of weakened by all the weighted things that go on it that actually don't play well with each other. Mm -hmm. And there's not an audit process usually that says, "Okay, we've made this worse, Mm -hmm. not better. And I'm wondering, is that similar to what you're looking at in the software? I mean, software is so important. I mean, software's running everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is, um, but there's also a distinction here. And it's looking at, um, quite frankly, some of the tying activities where it's not just you have an old legacy system and you then begin talking to others to make sure that you can really have a fully cyber resilient plan, that you're addressing it, and then you bring those in. It's the actual now locking in to that legacy vendor
0: And not being able to use. So
1: if I have my
0: legacy system and there's something new and, you know, that I'm trying to protect on that's on the horizon, they're basically like, Nope. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to either have to figure out how to buy that from our suite of services, Mm -hmm. or you will not be able to go to new Mr. Fancy guy. Mm -hmm. Who's got the cool thing Mm -hmm. that you can't, you you can't because of the system you're in move towards that. How does, why, how does that happen? Well, a lot of times it's a choice. It's
1: a choice of the vendor that you're using. Um, and we're, and that's part of what the coalition is trying to unpack um, and really bring increasingly to light um, where you have that. And sometimes, and this is actually a little more egregious, where sometimes you have had um, another cybersecurity vendor addressing other areas of vulnerability. Historically, they've integrated quite well um, across each other. But then all of a sudden you find that there are issues um, and you go to the vendor and you're like, well, I'm having issues here. We we want to understand what's really happened. Um, and they then say, well, no, that you need to talk to that other company. So it becomes like a, a, a game no of... No one's at fault, right? It, and no one wants to fix your problem. Mm-hmm.
0: And we're used to Patch Tuesdays. which uh, yeah. We
1: are very oh. used to Patch Tuesdays, yeah. which is it's quite... It's, it's been a very clever marketing um, technique in terms of, being able to download, you know, once a month. Here we go. Here, here's everything. Um, and a lot of attention hasn't really been focused like it once was. If, if a company is releasing independent vulnerabilities or zero day, 0 day exploits, a lot of attention will get focused on that one. But when it becomes part of a standard practice, right, it gets lost in the the larger um, the larger story. But also kind of coming back to what's happening in that that cyberspace i mean it's interesting you brought up um the colonial pipeline situation because um that's actually a lot of the questions and frankly there are software licensing concerns there because in talking to um a some of either our members and other companies in the oil and gas industry you know there was a There was a big accounting after. It's like, okay, what happened here? And there was a demand to ensure that these companies had a truly fully cyber resilient plan in place and that they had to go back to their vendors and, and look at their contracts and it's like, okay, well, what do we need? How do we need to diversify? Who do we need to bring in? What do we need to address? And all of a sudden, some of them were finding that they have increasingly sticky contracts with their legacy vendors that are keeping them from having that fully resilient plan so they've been interested in the work that we're doing because of that
0: oh that's yeah that's interesting I I did a, a lot of um, kind of tabletop exercises post uh, colonial and what I found fascinating is I was dealing with a lot of former FBI agents and yeah. I it's it, it's just an interesting change in the cyber landscape where they're like they realize like okay you have to be ready for other things like it mm-hmm. isn't just the IT guy, that Yeah, we're, you know, like you, the IT guy needs to have certain skill sets now because they're such targets. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're starting to see people think about their entire IT system as, you know, how to do the risk assessment. Mm-hmm. And then um, so how is, is is
1: well, and just a note on that and yeah? talking to companies because I mean, we primarily work with with um, the head of IT procurement or whatever for with our customers. I've noticed even over the past year um, that it's not just the CIO, that now a lot of the CIOs also need to be the CISOs. Um, and they're looking at both sides of the house. Um, and if they're, if they're not doing it in relation to each other, you're, you're exposing yourself for either um, integration flaws or, or problems on that front, um, looking at cost overspend,
0: you want be, because you do want to make sure that these fully integrate with each other. So I was looking at what's the name your group is cloud infrastructures oh wait no this is the CIP, CIP, the, the, CIP. The, the I was looking our, our European our European friends okay and you have a 9. point code which seems super common sense but I'm <laughs> curious to dig into a couple of these and see what makes you know, like the first one licensing terms should be clear and intelligible at first I feel that way about everything like you should be <laughs> able to dial it down to a Decent level, whatever Mm -hmm. level it is that people can actually read it, and it's Mm -hmm. not thirty six pages long. How's Mm -hmm. that? How's that going? This is probably one of the most important um,
1: points of our different like our our nine principles um, because it really fundamentally gets to a what is the vendor requiring um, and what is the customer getting. And they don't have surprises later on, like when when there is an audit or if there are are flaws in the implementation of the software. Like what resources do they have to go? You know, what what are their obligations under this? And it's something that you have companies are committed to. Um, The biggest problem a lot of them have are buried hyperlinks. I mean, we've all seen this. It's something that unfortunately permeates it. It's certainly present in our telecommunications field. You see it in any kind of, you know, do you agree, consent, boop, you know, and do you really want to hyperlink through everything? Well, you look at that and then you look at contracts that are not just millions, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, and especially when you look at it over a certain period and certainly, quite frankly, much, much more when you're talking about the U.S. um, government as a customer and having those hyperlinks and sometimes it's, like three or four hyperlinks in to really fully understand what those obligations are. We want to make sure that that's clear, that it's something that is, is
0: more readily understandable just by the face of the contract. I feel the same way about terms of use. I'm like, I would say, you know, for the consumer, I want them to be five emojis. Like what are the five things that you care about? And if you don't get all five, you know, you maybe don't happen in the in the United States you don't download the thing cuz it won't give it to you unless you do all five but yeah now I feel like you might have buried the lead with that being one because the second one is freedom to bring previously purchased software to the cloud mm-hmm. and that's a problem
1: it is it is actually so what is interesting is that over you know the the past decade plus but um you know you've you've had this movement to the cloud obviously prior to but really I would say COVID era and really post COVID you've had that significant push, whether it was to accommodate for remote work, whether it was moving your sales yeah. from in person to, um, to online for especially some of the smaller guys and for a lot of these um, and, and with the mid to um, larger um, companies, they had primarily all of their services on premises. So they purchased licensed for like one model. And as they moved to the cloud, they were generally up until uh, several years ago, really able to take those previously purchased licenses and move them to their cloud service of choice. Now about four years ago, some of the vendors began changing the terms and said, okay, well, if you stay with us, you, you don't have to purchase that again. Don't worry about it. But if you go to another cloud um, vendor, then you have to repurchase those for that cloud vendor. So irregardless of how much longer the term was left on you know some you look you're looking at years um and and being able to being forced to repurchase those
0: license to go to another cloud vendor that's just one example Oh, no, it's a happening. good one I guess, yeah because i could see that that could be uh an interesting change in the dynamic especially since we've changed and modified so much about the work yeah experience
1: well and also it fundamentally goes against what the cloud is for it's supposed to you know facilitate cost savings and you're you know being able to have a more flexible model and
0: if it's saying like okay we're flexible but only if you use us that's not actually flexible so at one point you mentioned there are concerns about retaliatory behavior Mm -hmm. so explain to me what what would that be they'd lose your stuff i mean like (laughs) what do we
1: Potentially. Um, okay. we, we have talked to some customers that have said, um, you know, we have a lot of our members that, quite frankly, are very nervous about speaking out publicly. It's, it really was the impetus for the coalition is to provide that collective voice when you have customers that individually, they don't feel like they have the market leverage to push back on on specific vendors. Um, and they also don't feel like they have the recourse to say anything publicly to the press or whatnot, because that then puts a target on their back. Um, but we've had some customers that have have been given basically contracts on a take it or leave it basis where it's like either you do it the way we're doing it here or you don't have access to our productivity software. Good luck. There you go. Um, but also it can come in the form of audits. Um, and this is a, audits in a little bit different um, context than you mentioned earlier in the cybersecurity space, which is, I mean audits are necessary in um, form of software compliance. It goes back and it's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna look at what how you're using your software. Does it um, comply with the terms that we agreed to? Do you have extra usage? If so, you know, you need to pay additional um, additional fees. This is getting to also the the NASA um, inspector general's report. Well a these audits are quite expensive because basically in a lot of times some vendors they actually have to come on premises and go through go through everything um and so they can be quite costly uh, and if you don't have a good software asset management system in place that you really have you you understand your usage and you are being kept um, abreast of um you know uh, the impacts of employee onboarding how many seats you more new seats do you, is it outside of your current scope of your contract Well, you're looking at something that okay you may have additional cost and then having unknown um, what what the impact will be for being out of compliance and so there's been this what weaponization of audits where if you don't um, kind of immediately go in with their
0: service again, re-up, renegotiate, um, then you're looking at an expensive audit. Uh, the one article says that the shift to the cloud presents another opportunity for vendors to increase their grip on government customers. For example, in 2019, Microsoft introduced licensing models, which made it more expensive to use their product in cloud environments other than Azure. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you, you're, you're, you're stepping off campus, you can take it with you, but it's going to cost you. Yes. Okay, and then another well, in in that instance with the um those twenty nineteen changes,
1: you for you to be able to take it with you, a sometimes there are severe limitations as to how you can use it, so it's not going to be the same as what you used before, um, but you will definitely have to repurchase it. Um, so you're looking at that
0: increased cost there yeah one thing i was noting is that they said that the costs are not transparent quite often in these mm-hmm. very lengthy contracts your point about the hyperlinks you're like i don't even know what i just agreed to pay for something yeah. i don't know exactly what i have um it's amazing this this one was a, it was a couple weeks ago it was february 1st it said oracle and microsoft two companies receiving the most government off-the-shelf software spending over the last decade get at least 25 to 30 percent of their respective government revenue through purchases processes that are not even competitive. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, no, and um, that was a great study that Michael Garland um, did, and it's it's something he began to really dig into. What is the actual cost of this? It's probably one of the most complex um, questions that we have before us. We know that it's huge um, and it's significant, but what is the actual cost to the U.S. government? Um, And he began to a pull apart as to what all of these different costs. Um, interestingly, the NASA IG um, report ended up being like coming out a couple weeks before. So it, it doubled down on some of the things he, he found, but yeah, you know, so this will be, um, <clears throat> so I sign up with vendor a for a specific product, um, you know, for a software product, be it, um, you know, authentication directory or for other software services, and um, they'll say, they'll, like, great, well, here's this other bundle of stuff that's included with it. And then when you're looking at other government contracts, um, you know, the, and they'll add on fees that will be associated to that bundle of stuff that you got that you didn't necessarily you're going to have to pay for. But when other government contracts, whether it be for cybersecurity services or... Um, either conferencing services or, or things like that, they're like, no, 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 you don't have to worry about it. A, it's included there, so no need to talk to anyone else. Um, so it's effectively
0: precluding best of breed and other verticals from coming in. So, um, I mean, both Microsoft and Oracle are great companies, and I feel like they're just kind of taking advantage of the fact that governments are not very good at accounting for things, the minimum. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what's the answer? Where do, where, where, do we, where do we head on this if we want to start straightening up our... Our act? Yeah.
1: Um I mean there are a couple of different things that the that the coalition is looking at in terms of specifically um the US government um we have been big proponents and and we're very pleased to see the introduction of uh the strengthening agency management and so the coalition has been looking at a number of different solutions and in terms of the US um government specifically we have been advocates of the strengthening agency management and oversight of software assets act it's a mouthful, yeah. uh, but what that does is, for probably the first time, uh, it's okay. Let's do an accounting. For, so, for every CIO of the departments and agencies, they have to go in and really get a good sense of what are the current software assets, what are the restrictions, what are um, what are the costs that are associated. Are there are there un um, kind of unpredicted costs or costs that they weren't expecting in terms of them. Have there been limitations? And also associated with that began pulling together some recommendations of how to have a more effective strategy, whether it's enterprise-wide, how you encourage interoperability, and so you're looking at a step. So it's not going so far as to require changes to procurement of software, but it's taking that step by really understanding what the current landscape looks like. And I
0: think that's really important. So uh, going back to this report that my colleague John Bailey did, did they did they tap on any of the the answers here? I mean should we be reading this? Where, where should we going to figure out how to do this better? Well, I mean one of
1: the biggest recommendations, and it's not something that the coalition has been focused on specifically, but in that report, um, one of the recommendations we think is vital um, is making sure that you have um, basically the human resource element, making sure you have greater talent internally. Um, this gets to the software asset management system. So right now um, a lot of customers and increasingly also in, in the public sector will bring on a third party consultant um, to help them with this. These are these are your, your brains and really help make sure that you are using your current software assets effectively. Um, where do you need to minimize? Where are you within the, like, where can you add additional headcount? You're, you're good. And... The push and one recommendation they have in there is making sure you have more of those resources internally to the department or agency so that they have a daily look it. it's not just another vendor that you're working with. So I think that's probably one of the biggest um, and most effective recommendations from that report. You know, we are looking at I would say we are looking at the contractual terms that underlie it and they're looking at the ones that will make sure you are effectively um,
0: in compliance with it from a day to day basis. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to have to have you back and explain eventually how how we're going on all this. So is this act actually in place or is it something that's legislation?
1: So um, the Strengthening Agency Management Act um, was introduced last year. We're expecting it to be reintroduced in the coming coming weeks. Um, So that's a stay tuned for coming attractions. Um, We'll also note that this is something that at the state level, I mean, with the report that you mentioned, um, that was just a snapshot at the feds. This can be something about we talk about later. or I can just bore you to tears on uh, is the what's happening also at the states. Cause oh, yeah, I can imagine it's it's I think we have absolutely no sense of, of really what's going on, especially since a lot of these practices are exponentially worse at the state level. But they also occur under non-disclosure agreements. Um, so we're relying on friends over that engaging in FOIAs to get a better sense there. But it, the, the
0: cost will also be exponential there. You just reminded me, um, I was just thinking in my head about how many consultants there are, you know, that, that do this. And there's the idea of maybe having somebody internally who understands it, which I'm sure is a a challenge because the landscape is constantly changing, Mm -hmm. but. When you're at the airport and they say, you know, military and, you know, people with family can get on. Yeah. And then there have actually been people that will stop and go, you're a contractor, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you, you only get credit if you show up and you really know what you're doing here. Yep. You're, you don't get a account with it. Well, thank you for coming on to explain well, all of this me. complexity in procurement policy. <laughs> a lot of people love being on appropriations committees, but not a lot of people spend time to see where all that money eventually goes and keeps going. So I appreciate you doing the work that you're doing.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.